Hello and welcome to your Mindful Hour. I'm your host, Melissa Marks. Today I have the pleasure of talking with Miss Brandy Brown of Pierce Legal Services. Brandy is an attorney who left big law after years of trying to fit into an unmanageably stressful culture to now work in a smaller boutique firm where she is much happier, more fulfilled, and successful. She shares her journey, including her mindfulness practice, and really opens the hood and lets us in. This is a great episode for anyone contemplating going into the legal profession or for anyone who feels stuck in their current role. Hey, Brandy. How's it going? Hi, Melissa. I'm so excited to be here with you today. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm very excited for you to be here as well. Let's start off in a way that we've never done on the show before, which is starting with a few minutes of settling and setting intention. That so, sounds amazing. Okay, let's do this. So I invite you to allow your eyes to soften and to close when ready. And if you would like, you can place one hand on your heart center and the other hand on your belly. And let's begin by taking several deep breaths here. And allowing the breath to return to your normal breathing and take a moment to connect to your seat. Really feeling grounded and rooted here. We're actually together face to face in a recording studio. And I invite you to take a moment to set your intention for our time together today. And you can do that silently to yourself. And whenever you're ready, you can allow the eyes to open and we can begin. Oh, thank you, Melissa. That was. That was just what I needed. Excellent. Excellent. Do you want to share what your intention was? Yes, I would I would love to share that. Um, it's kind of what you've been talking about, but exploring, trying new things, being open, and finding joy. Mm, wow, cool. I'm excited to start this journey. Why don't we start by having you tell us about you, Brandy? So I, I have an eclectic background and so I won't start today because I feel like that jades everything that comes before it but I grew up in deep east Texas on a cattle ranch and farm and so that was that was my beginning and then I lived and worked on a dude ranch in Colorado and then I went to high school in Wyoming and so lots of skiing but I also had to work construction I cleaned houses businesses and motels um, and then then went on to college stumbled into law school and <laughs> stumbling into law school that's that's the title of a book <laughs> I like that I think a lot a lot of people do because you know taking the GMAT or the GRE it's a whole process and LSAT it's just games 
So Oh wow. Yeah. Is, that, is that part of what the yes. deal is? Okay. Yeah. So I stumbled into law school and the employment process when you come out of law school is is pretty easy. They bring the interviewers to you. So then stumbled into big law for years and years. And I've been in Dallas for for 17 years. And now I through a lot of the friendships that I've made over the years here and and people who are you know really care about their clients and their personal growth now I'm in a place where I'm working with a very good friend that I you know I know what kind of lawyer she is and her ethics and her commitment to the work and we're offering um, outsourced general counsel services to clients that have been recommended to us by by friends. So it's just a really different environment than big law. Mm, okay, let's. Can we talk a little bit about big law versus what you're doing now? Like, what what did you see as some of the issues or, or things that were going on? Because I I know you're probably well aware of the statistics of lawyers and and stress, and alcoholism, and mental health issues, very high rates of depression, anxiety. Lawyers are six times more likely to commit suicide. There's there's all of this stuff going on. What what was your experience working in big law, as you say? So, day one. So, when you're you're being recruited, it's a you know, full-time party. Mm. They're rolling out the red carpet. It's mm-hmm. life is going to be great. They really want you to come. Mm-hmm. And then day one that, you know, it's been a, it's been a year since you've seen these people. Day one, you walk in and they tell you you're fungible, you're replaceable. Don't ever turn down an assignment because then that partner will never give you another one. It's a, wow. it's almost a grooming process that I, I don't maybe people have learned it through kind of college frat hazing mm. type behavior mm. but it is certainly a grooming process that's coming from a place of fear mm. that these attorneys felt that way they were subjected to this you should be subjected to this and still today that really is the attitude that because for big law you're if you don't if you're not immediately making partner after their partner track, seven years, nine years, and a lot of that is economics, where the economy is at that time, mm-hmm. even though you're in one sense more valuable than ever, that you can produce, that you bill at a higher rate and you can produce more with fewer hours, that you have the knowledge, that still at that point, you you are pushed out the door, basically, at, at a lot of firms. So it's just funny to me that the most valuable people are almost competition for the partners that are there. And so they have to be moved on. And so you get the baby, mm. the babies in the door that you can. And part of it is because at that, I think at the end of that cycle, people are disgruntled. People are seeing what is happening health-wise and otherwise to people around them. But and, and that's one of the things I think a lot of people struggle with. I had someone tell me this that this morning at breakfast that they that stress, thinking about moving on, mm-hmm. made them feel weak, like they couldn't hack it, they couldn't oh. handle it. When it's really, in one sense, the opposite, because when you're looking at making changes, it really has to come from a place of strength. Mm-hmm. That when you decide and you have that initiative to move forward being being stuck there in big law is is for a lot of people um it feels like strength that they're handling this Mm. but it's really not making decisions about the future oh my goodness you painted that picture really vividly my question to you is there any hope for a cultural shift it within big law itself you know, millennials give me a lot of hope. I've, mm-hmm. I have learned a lot from them. I mm-hmm. watch them come in and say, no, I'm not going to take that assignment. Yes, I am going to take my vacation mm-hmm. when, when you said I could. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to take my full vacation. So I think it's possible, but it's really, I really don't see it until future generations are, are at the top. Interesting. So when they make partner, right? 
Is that kind of the idea? Like the ones with that idealistic attitude haven't all been driven off, jaded, which is, or, yeah, which is completely possible that the cycle oh. will just go on forever. This is disheartening in a way. <laughs> I so tell us about your journey with meditation and mindfulness and when that came into your world and then I still want to then loop around here about your your professional trajectory and when you decided to go ahead and and leave but let's let's back us up and and tell us about that part of you sure um so my journey actually started very early in Deep East Texas, <laughs> which is not where you think about meditation no. and mindfulness. Um, so I'm just I'm going to list a few people here because you have to honor your teachers and where you come from. Mm, but Mr. Colasante um, was my drama, PE, art, meditation, yoga, nice. <laughs> music teacher in Crockett, Texas, and um, so he set that foundation for me and then you know at a really critical juncture I was at the Dallas Yoga Center and Jessica O'Keefe and Carla Rudger were just instrumental in reminding me about the foundation that my teacher had set early but also in encouraging you to explore what you knew as a child Mm. and we've just shut out and then lately I'm kind of renewed on my journey inspired by Benjamin Lannon and his podcast, Let's Start Here, The Art of Changing the World. And yeah. it it just it's one of those things that you have known and haven't seen at that angle. And it just refreshes everything mm-hmm. in your life. So help me understand the timeline. So when you were with the the two women studying at Dallas Yoga Center, were you at a big law firm at that point? I was. Okay. I was. I And I was really sick. My body was giving me a wake-up call. And it was like doctors stymied and baffled and my knee the size of a basketball for like six months. And they, you know, finally diagnosed it with like reactive arthritis and you need to go on methotrexate. And so that was a whole journey that I decided I don't want to do any of that. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be on a drug for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. I want to actually change things. And so I consulted a lot of different people, but ended up with diet and exercise. And then that really led to changing Mm -hmm. my entire life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part it's funny, lots of people are reading Marie Kondo. Mm -hmm. I've probably read her seven years ago. I've read both her books and then Getting Things Done, Mm -hmm. uh, David Allen. He's also, you know, he was a black belt karate. So he approaches a lot of things with mind like water Mm. and getting things out of your head. Mm -hmm. So you're not repeating that cycle of thinking, Mm -hmm. thinking about things over and over unproductively. And so both, both of those have been just really things that I read visit and I think that that is part of the struggle for all of us is that we think we've learned something and we think we've put it into practice in our lives and then life comes up and you have to it's not starting over mm-hmm. but you have to come back to it let's start here let's center again mm-hmm. let's breathe let's recognize where we are and what we're feeling so what, oh go ahead no no well what was the critical moment? I mean, you said some health challenges and things were, you know, you, you saw the writing on the wall, it sounded like. Um, but what what really made you decide, I cannot do both of these things? Like, for some reason, I can't take care of myself, practice mindfulness, meditate, and still be okay in this context because that's what I'm hearing you say is that those really were mutually exclusive that that environment was not able to facilitate someone like yourself who was trying to do good by themselves their own mental health emotional health is that first and foremost is that would that be fair fair statement I you know for me personally that was not where I should be. It was a long process. I'm kind of slow and deliberate. Mm-hmm. It was a long process coming to that realization that I need to be proactive and do something else. I don't think it's necessarily true for 
for everyone. And I have a friend, Mandy Price, who started a company, Canaries. Okay. And they're they're working on actually changing big law and and using data to do that and people's feedback. And so part of that is then this isn't for I'm not saying all lawyers feel this way, but I think this might speak to a lot of people that one of the ways that we think that we show strength in the business world, probably especially as women, but it probably applies to other people too, that you kind of shut down your emotions. You put Mm -hmm. up a wall Mm -hmm. that guards you and you think, one, I can't get emotionally involved in this client's business because that's unhealthy. And I'm not disagreeing with that, but to numb yourself to that. Mm -hmm. And then you're also, you don't want your personal issues to bleed onto your work. So when you numb yourself, you're not just numbing yourself to that work. You're numbing yourself potentially to your family Mm -hmm. and to any emotions that you have while you're doing it, like that first feeling that you get about something that you really should listen to that Mm -hmm. little voice, but we can't hear it because we have numbed ourselves so much. Uh, And i that's one of the things I'm excited about Canaries. Yeah, tell us what that is. Yeah, so uh, they are, they work directly with companies. um, So it could be a law firm, it could be, uh, it could be Pepsi, cola company um, to help them change their diversity inclusion efforts to really be effective Mm -hmm. and not just in name only. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's what we found with a lot of programs that that are in place right now is just they actually backfire and they aren't suiting people's needs, but they also source data. So they'll have the employees come to come to the come to their website and and put in data about how they're being treated, how they feel, mm-hmm. how the working environment is, and then using that data in really creative ways, asking questions that haven't been asked before and making correlations that haven't been seen before mm-hmm. to actually put in programs that, that make big changes. So oh, wow. Cool. I'm going to look well, I'll look these guys up. I mean, I, I have done some work with law firms and work um, a lot with individual lawyers. And you know, I, I tend to agree with you that if real change is to happen, it has to happen from the top. People in leadership positions, partners have to be on board or else people below them, so to speak, in the totem pole, don't feel that they can really take advantage of you know, a meditation once a week that's being offered. Sometimes it's just the optics of that. Like, oh yeah, we we provide wellness. We do these things, but no one really embraces it. And if you're, you know, you're you're describing the way the culture is there, if if that part's not changing, it's it's like lip service. So do you think that you you mentioned with millennials kind of coming in and sort of having a, a sea change of um, thought with that, you know, my hope would be that from both angles, the top really recognizing the the concerns of lawyers as, uh, you know, their well-being and these new folks coming in, that there could be an opportunity for, for real change. Because I don't think you can look at the statistics of lawyers and not see that this is really an epidemic. Yeah, it's going to require whole system change. So changing the world in essence. Mm. Um, I think, yes, millennials could do that. And yes, canaries could help them do that, which I think is, is a very hopeful hopeful place to be. But right now, in the short term, yes, I, exactly. Leadership has to be on board. And even where you see, that is the problem with law firms is there's a lot of heads of this monster Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. even if you have one partner that's really on board it doesn't mean or one office that's really on board it doesn't mean that they have that power throughout the whole firm since the partners vote on things but I do think it will take not being numbed out that people have to say that this is really how I'm feeling Mm -hmm. and I'm going I'm respecting how I'm feeling and I'm communicating this so Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, I think a lot of especially transactional lawyers get to the passive aggressive phase that they think that they're 
holding it in Mm. and then they're really taking it out on the world around them Mm -hmm. and so instead of doing that being brave enough and strong enough to really sit with your own feelings and emotions and then communicate those because funny enough (laughs) a lot of lawyers don't like personal conflict they may be Fine doing it for clients, but they really don't like it personally. Well, that's interesting. What do you make of that uh, uh, observation? What What's behind that? It is that fear, that personal fear. Mm. It's a lot less fear when it's not... It's your it's your client's issue and it's your job. You've been appointed to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And somehow you don't feel like you can be in charge of your own life and mm-hmm. your own feelings. Interesting. You know, I know that some law schools are now teaching mindfulness. And do you think that that's a, at any level useful to this sea change? I think it's a seed, but I don't think for the most part that law school is going to be a productive place to learn mindfulness or to practice it. Just because also, right, you you don't really understand practicing law until you are actually doing it. There's one thing about learning these things in school and then the real life application. So, yeah, fair. I can see that. So tell us about your your break, your move from big law into this more, would you call it a boutique practice? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was in stutters and stops. Like when I first left big law, I really was thinking about doing something completely different. I didn't know what it, what it was, but I was going to give myself some time to figure that out. But then I went, I went back to a law firm and then Uh, because a a friend that I used to work with invited me. And then he left because he had a health scare and kind of changed his entire life. And Mm. it was, I I realized I would have stayed there because I felt I owed an obligation to this person. Mm. I would have stayed there for a very long time. And so it was, it was a gift. I was, you know, I was really sad about it at the time, but it was a real gift that it, I was like, I was interrupted on my journey, mm-hmm. and now I have, this is a gift I've been given to mm-hmm. reevaluate where I am and to come back to center and let's start here and uh, what what do I want my life to look like and how can I feel fill it with joy mm-hmm. and how can I explore where I should be? And so, so that's where I am. So. Oh my gosh, congratulations <laughs> for that. That's not an easy thing, especially when everyone around you is doing it this different way, this other way. And it does take a lot of courage to stop and recognize what's being, what's happening around you and inside you and choosing your own health and your own happiness. And Tell me the difference in just the quality of work. What's it like now to practice law? So because I have chosen everything about this practice and I have a, you know, very serious discussion with my business partner about what we want and what we want in it and what we don't want in it and how we want everyone to be fairly compensated, when I work on something when I sit down I am so happy Mm. to be working on it I'm so satisfied Mm. with everything and then the clients that we accept too I love my clients and I recently had a had a call with a client where they they, at the end of the call they told me that they had been in a very bad mood when they got on the phone and I didn't give them good news (laughs) I, (laughs) I had to tell them what the law was on the subject and it wasn't in their favor, and they were like, but I am so much happier now that I've talked to you, Brandy. I, you know, if you ever change firms, I want to follow you. And I'm oh. like, they're like, will you, will you let us follow you? And I'm like, guys, I was just saying this about you. I love getting on the phone. It makes me happy to have conference calls with you, and I've really never said that before. So, <laughs> Oh, that's so beautiful. So I'm, I'm thinking about what you said earlier in the conversation about your time with big law and that sort of numbing that happens in the interactions. So what I'm hearing is a complete 180. This is about really feeling and connecting and, and having a relationship with your clients. I mean, that's, that's a, a monumental shift. It is. It is. And it it feels that monumental, too. It really feels like I'm in a complete 
complete 180 here that every, even thinking about calls with the opposite side, like we had a particularly contentious one recently and in the, before the call, I centered and mm-hmm. do my breathing. And then during the call, I had to stop and do that a few times too. And at the end, my my clients called me and told me that they had been on mute and that they were just so pleased with how everything had unfolded and how productive it was. And I think a lot of that is when you, when you're coming, when you're numbing, it really the only thing that can seep through is negative emotions, mm-hmm. in particular fear. Mm-hmm. And so when you're coming from that place of fear, a lot of times it's hard to listen mm-hmm. to what the other side is saying, what your clients are saying, mm-hmm. because no one, I'm sure this is true in most businesses, tells you what they need. They tell you what they want, but it's not necessarily what's good for them or what they need. Mm. And so being able to listen and figure out where they actually are starting there and finding a solution that fits for them. And, you know, even if it is antagonistic to the other side, that that happens, but it's not coming from a place of fear. It's coming mm-hmm. from a from a solid place of confidence. Absolutely. And I think you're bringing up a really good point about listening and mindful listening, just the ability to listen beyond what's being said, listening for body language, being able to be so comfortably rooted in yourself that you're not just operating off fight or flight. You miss so much information when you are either, like you said, disconnected, numb, or just in a complete fear-based place, like you mentioned before, too, with um, stress. that That's the amygdala running the show. The ability to be centered, as you're talking about, allows you the access of your prefrontal cortex, which is allowing all of your executive functioning, your better decision-making, your better judgment, your, your focus, the ability to see the full picture of things. So when you're sitting there and you've been afforded mental and emotional health, your brain is functioning better. You can actually listen. You can actually serve your clients better. And I, I wonder if maybe people that are getting to be more aware of this will want to flock to more boutique smaller practices because they know that their lawyers are not in that other space, that the quality of the work that you're delivering is more beneficial to the client. Maybe it's just a, I mean, I hate to say it like this, but a, a money a money thing at the end of the day, like who, who gets better results, smaller firms or the bigger firms? I don't know. I, I've certainly seen that the loop that a big firm can go in where you could pick up the phone and call and have a conversation with the other lawyer. And maybe a big firm doesn't do that because it's a, an associ- a lower associate doing the work and they don't feel they have that. They can take that initiative. Mm-hmm. And so where you are with mindfulness, like in that conversation Instead of jumping ahead to what you think the solution is, so not mm-hmm. not being present with that conversation, right. and so that solution could actually mean more work because that's you're not listening. You didn't hear what they actually need. So mm-hmm. when you do that work, then you have to do it again mm-hmm. to get to the point that you should have been if you really had been there with the client. I totally agree. And I, with listening, I like thinking about it in terms of transient listening which is just distracted listening it's like you know when you're talking to someone and then they're looking at their phone and they're doing like (laughs) 10 different things no one feels good right when you're when you're on the other end of that so that's pretty ding common transient listening then there's transactional listening which is what I kind of think is a lot of people and I think particularly lawyers that's when you're listening only to find the little part where you can solve the problem. You're listening for keywords, and then as those words are coming, you're already forming your next thought. And as you said, you're not present. If that's what you're doing, you're not really taking in everything that's being said. Then the last kind of listening is transformational listening, which is what you're talking about, which is 
mindfully listening. It's being present. It's taking in all of those things. And sometimes we get these little epiphanies or little ahas, these little things that come to us while we're just absorbing and being present with someone that we would otherwise have missed. That's what this practice of mindfulness can afford us just in, just in mindful listening. That's only one little slice of <laughs> <laughs> this big world of mindfulness and meditation. But yeah, absolutely. So you're seeing the difference just in the quality that you're able to listen and give good guidance. Yeah, and I I love that term, transformational listening. I'm I'm going to use that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's when you and the other person are are entering into a space where both of you are creating this third space, right? There's me, then there's you, and then if we're both in that space, then really amazing things can come from that, right? But we both have to be open and present and letting go. The other piece to that is your client may or may not be fully present with you initially, but as you were talking about before being on the phone with your client and they were saying, ah, you know, I feel so much better. The person with the strongest energy, the most clear energy, the most conscious energy is usually the one that is dictating the course of that conversation. So whether you knew it or not, you were probably anchoring them into a state of presence. Oh, I love that too. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, do you find that that's true? Like when you think about it? Yeah. And I don't know that I've thought about it in those terms, but yes. And I'm going, I'm going to use that going forward. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Really focus on that. Yeah. There's, um, the, there's a thing within our brains called mirror neurons and, Basically, what mirror neurons are is the easiest way to explain it is when someone yawns in a room, <laughs> then everyone starts yawning, right? So they did these studies with monkeys and they had a, one monkey eat a peanut and then this other monkey was just watching the monkey <laughs> eat the peanut and both of their brains fired in the exact same way. <laughs> so what we do as humans is we kind of latch on to what's happening around us. So if someone has a certain kind of energy and it's a really strong energy, if people are unconscious and unaware, they will usually default to whoever has the strongest energy. So think about some like negative Nancy, if you will, or someone that like kind of has that kind of vibe. They can bring a whole room down, right? If people aren't careful. And then the opposite is true. You always know the people that when they walk in, it's like the light is there. It's like the party's on. It's <laughs> like, it's good, right? So we're, we're constantly being affected by people all the time. So with mindfulness, I think that's one of the greatest gifts is that we can be more conscious about what we're bringing to the table and how we can positively affect others around us too. And in that transformational space, I that is where I didn't have the words for it, but now I do. But that is where you find creativity. That's yes. where you find new solutions to problems. And that and I really think numbing, not not feeling those emotions, you have lost access to so much so many possibilities and new ways of thinking and new ways of trying things. Which I think ultimately big law will have to face that because they they could be obsolete if they don't tap into that potential, if they don't allow their people to tap into that. I think so. And I also think people are leaving the law profession left and right. They're either just leaving the profession entirely or, oh, I hate to say this, but people are killing themselves and yes. especially around our area. You know, I don't know how and when the wake-up call is going to be bad enough, um, but hopefully the more positivity that, say, people like you are bringing uh, to the conversation, I think people, hopefully, at least I'm going to be hopeful about it and say that I hope that people do take notice of these things. Mindfulness in the workplace is getting more and more common. Almost a quarter of companies had some kind of meditation or mindfulness program last year. That's a lot. 
And there are people that predict that in the next couple of years, this number is going to grow even more. So whether it's just simply a trend thing, people are kind of like, oh, it's the new sexy, shiny thing. And sure, we'll we'll bring it into our, our law firm. I at least think that that's a start. So Brandy, let me ask you this. If you're a young new lawyer or someone in law school right now, and in particular, if you could go back to your early self, a law student, what message would you like to hear right now? I, so I would like to think a lot more about being proactive about creating a practice that brings me joy. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for people who have never seen a law practice. Like some, some people have family that have been lawyers and they, they're more, much more familiar with it. But I would say majority of people going into law school have, don't know lawyers, haven't been around lawyers. They don't know what it's going to look like. So it's hard to know. And a lot of what you create from law practice is what not to do, examples mm-hmm. not to follow. Mm-hmm. And, oh, okay, I definitely don't want to do litigation or that's you weed things out that way. But instead of having that focus, focus on what pieces of it bring you joy. And so, and even if a, if a period of your life is, is a learning opportunity, to not get stuck there to remember to be proactive going forward in really choosing joy and not come from a place of scarcity Mm -hmm. that there's, I I think a lot of lawyers do that because by nature that, you know, why they make good lawyers is they recognize the pitfalls out there, but those pitfalls can trap you where you are thinking about all those pitfalls. David Allen says that, that highly sensitive people that they think about something and you know, the culmination of their thinking is, oh, my God, I'm in I'm going to prison and you haven't even done anything yet. But that's what highly sensitive, creative people do. And so being mindful, and being present and starting here instead of letting the future stop you, um, use it, use use that future joy, not the future fear, but the future joy as motivation mm-hmm. for decisions today. Mm hmm. That's really, really beautiful. I'm thinking of someone in my head right now who is a friend and not a client. Uh, so it's it's a different kind of conversation to have when I when I do talk with her. But I know that she feels stuck. She feels absolutely trapped. Also with the money mm-hmm. and the idea of starting over. And I know you've spoken about being proactive and, and recognizing when you're coming from a fear-based place. But if you can imagine, I'm sure you have friends as well that are lawyers who probably echo those same sentiments. And for someone who doesn't have a meditation practice or a mindfulness practice, I think that's even a harder leap into like, just just trust that, you know, like don't come from fear. You know, it, it's, it's easy to say these things. Um, but Let's say you're thinking about someone like my friend. What do you say to someone like her? So starting with no no mindfulness practice, right? Stuck in law practice. Yep. Um, so, for I really would suggest starting with being with yourself, and that could look like a meditation practice, mm-hmm. but it could also take the form of a some kind of physical activity where you can really focus on mindfulness and breathing, not letting that worry cycle through your mind. But a lot of people sitting down for meditation is so difficult for them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a, an activity that's a little more rote, it could be, it could be like tennis hitting balls or, mm-hmm. um, or, or even weightlifting in the gym, but something like that that uh, keeps part of your brain busy so that you can focus on sitting with yourself. And actually, mm-hmm. um, I, I remember in uh, at one point I went to a guided meditation. This was um, before I had gone back to, to yoga. And I, when I walked away, I was in a lot of physical pain mm-hmm. because I had 
I ha- it had been so long that I hadn't really connected mm-hmm. with my own body. Mm-hmm. And so it, I, I, inc- I encourage people to take it as a slow, as a slow process, that reconnection, because it can be, mm-hmm. it can be painful and emotional, mm-hmm. but, and you feel, I had a friend say this this week, but she says she's, just doing amazing things and being with herself and making decisions, being proactive and looking for joy. And she said, I, some days I feel weak mm-hmm. and I used to think I was strong when I was numbing myself mm-hmm. out and doing mm-hmm. this. And, I, and it, but this is a place of strength mm-hmm. to, to sit with these emotions mm-hmm. and to take action based on them mm-hmm. and to have potential conflict, which, uh, Benjamin Lannon keeps telling me this that when you when you put that out there uh, when you say what you're feeling to someone else their reaction is not your burden mm-hmm. and I, th- I think a lot of us especially female lawyers that we feel like at all the reactions around us are our job right to manage right. those uh, no no no, and no it, yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah please so, speak to that. No, no. Well, I, you know, one, and, and I know we're going to be out of time soon, but I think the other thing that's coming, that's shining through for me as I listen to you talk is how you're not alone. Like, if you are a lawyer or frankly in another line of work, but that this is somehow resonating because this isn't just lawyers that that are, you know, having this issue um, as a, as an industry, but realizing that you're not alone that my friend who says i am stuck you know a thousand people that think like this too through your career right um this is more common than it it's not and so to reach out to not be isolated i think that that's the other thing that happens is that people turn to these different things like alcohol or you know god forbid they they hurt themselves because they feel like no one will understand and that it's just them. So this is this is something where communicating and noticing if you have a coworker or a friend that looks like maybe everything is fine, but just check in check in with people. Go go have those meaningful conversations with them, invite them for you know, a walk um, during lunch or something like that. I think just reaching out, realizing that this is important for everybody. I have noticed with a with a lot of my friends that initially, when you don't know where to go with these feelings, that getting together, being open, like that, is a first step. But a lot of times, that leads to the same unproductive circles oh, right. in, of discussion that mm. happen in your own mind. They're just happening out outside with friends and to some extent I think that's really healthy being open because a lot of that numbing is hiding things from other people and hiding them from yourself too so that is a first step being open but if you see yourself in that cycle of just endlessly talking or thinking about these things that it's important to break that and one one way is physical activity another way is writing things down and sometimes it's writing it down and burning it writing it down and putting it in a box mm-hmm. and just getting it out of your head and sometimes making a habit of kind of mindful writing it can even lead you to a place where you're it's almost like meditation mm-hmm. this type of writing mm-hmm. that you find something you didn't know you were looking for Absolutely. Keep following your happiness. Keep following what makes you feel good. And maybe we can just end on that note that if you are feeling good, you're you're repositioning and you're shifting something, thinking better feeling thoughts, anything that's going to help connect you to something that is positive is 
a shift towards the next right step. And you may not know yet what that looks like. I'm sure you know you didn't know that, oh yeah, I'm going to be in this amazing practice like a couple years before. There's no way, but you took the step that was in front of you and it felt good. So guess what? You did the next step because it also felt good. And sometimes that's all we're given. We're not given the full picture. We take a leap of faith. And and periods of waiting mm. can be valuable too, like thinking about what your intention is during this period of waiting. So you're learning, you're preparing, mm-hmm. you're you're getting ready for those next stages in your life. And I I did this right before I left Big Law. I really had a paradigm shift mm. and looked at that last year or two years at Big Law as that opportunity to prepare me for the next step mm-hmm. and took advantage of, mm-hmm. uh, of lots of opportunities I might not have taken advantage of otherwise. But mm-hmm. so per- periods of waiting can be valuable too if, you're, if your mindset is seeking exploration and joy. So uh, find joy, that's what I say. That's so beautiful. I want to thank you so much. You're amazing. And the the law profession needs more people like you. I would say the whole world needs more people like you. Uh, Melissa, <laughs> likewise. <laughs> You're awesome. It was so great to meet you today. Oh, my gosh. Shall we eat some hummus? Let's eat hummus. Oh, my God. Let's do it. <laughs> this is our segment, Hummus Among Us. And I'm going to let you open it. Oh, okay. I will open it. Should will I'll you open tell? The oh, okay. Yes. Will you tell people what you brought? Yes. Um, Cedars Mediterranean hummus. Um, it's organic. Special bonus and <laughs> little tiny carrots. Yay! Tiny, tiny baby carrots. So this looks good. Okay, Mediterranean with toppings. So, tell us what you like about the Mediterranean. But I'm going to let you get the first oh, yeah. bite. So I, lo- I love the pine nuts and I love the olive oil and it just really focuses on the hummus. Yeah. Okay. So I'm already observing you. You did not mix everything around. You d- is, th- <laughs> is that because you're trying to be polite because I'm here? No. Um, How do you eat this? You definitely mix things up. <laughs> no, I want to know how really, you eat this. I was really, really busy eating my hummus. <laughs> too focused on eating the hummus. Oh, funny. So when I get... <laughs> oh my gosh, that was good. When I do, when I get any hummus that has the toppings, that's my first thing that I do. I, I, I go like this. So I'm mixing everything around like that. Yum. Right? But I'm going to have another bite now that it's fully mixed. Yeah. <laughs> I have before and after. There we go. <laughs> you'll have, and you'll have to let us know the, the difference. So I've never had this brand with this flavoring. So this is new for me, and I'm excited. Here, send this back your way. My mom has a really great hummus recipe, and this is the close. Like it tastes like her hummus mm. recipe. I feel like they just they don't add unnecessary things to their hummus. Mmm, that's very good. It is very different though. This is so good. Okay, okay, it's fresh. It tastes fresher than uh, your usual. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm trying to understand why this is really good because I have to say this is really good. I I I think he, Cedars is pressure that it, it doesn't last as long you have you have to eat it quicker i think they are fresher but it really does taste like my mom's recipe which she makes fresh so maybe ah, that's the secret altogether there your mom makes hummus <laughs> does that mean that you know how to make some hummus i have the recipe uh-huh. <laughs> i don't use a blender very well <laughs> what do you like to do for fun maybe let's end on on that note this was lovely hummus by the way oh yeah um so just last night, I was at Vertical Fitness. Mm. Uh, they have two locations, but one just right. O- actually, they're both right over here. One kind of to our west, and one to the east in northeast Dallas. Um, but they have Ariel Silks. And, <gasps> oh my gosh! And Lyra Hoop, and that really does you know access creativity, enjoy like doing things like when you were a kid, things that brought you Aww. joy, and. 
uh, being upside down, I think, is very important to, <laughs> to mental health and stability. Um, I love modern dance, and mm. I think aerial arts is is close to that. I actually had a modern dance troupe visit me and my school in high school, and they invited all the classes, like, separate separated by class, but to come and dance with them, not just watch them. And so we danced with this modern dance troupe and we were in high school and so we were all like awkward and didn't want to didn't really want to do it in front of other people and it just like even right then in high school I realized how far removed I was from childhood joy but Mm -hmm. that dancing with even awkwardly and uncomfortably with that modern (laughs) dance troupe I was like I want more of this in my life so that's what I think about with things that bring me joy like I think like that watching modern dancers on stage and the creativity they have to access working Mm -hmm. together as a team to create that Titus here in Dallas they do interviews with the dancers afterwards and you can just really hear how comfortable how much trust you have to have Titus Uh, Titus is the modern dance organization no here kidding. in Dallas. Oh, that, wow. But they bring troops from around. They don't have their own troop. They bring troops from around the world. Oh. And like body traffic from L.A. is coming here soon. And they're really good. Momix. Uh, Palabolus is my favorite company. Oh, my so. gosh. You, you, you're you a wealth of knowledge on this. <laughs> so I took I, modern dance in college, oh, too. Okay. When I lived in New York, I had some friends that were dancers, and um, I would attend some of these really cool uh, different dance things, and uh, a couple of my friends had this funny joke. They would call, um, and, and they, they meant this very uh, tongue-in-cheek and very, like, very, very playfully, but they would say MBMD, which was more bad modern dance (laughs) because you know sometimes it's hit or miss but all all very good even even the quote not so good because as you said i mean you've got to be able to free yourself and sometimes that's not pretty sometimes it's a little bit messy and so all good with modern dance and i i need to learn more about what's going on here because i'm definitely missing out on some good stuff i can tell Thank you so much, Brandy. You're awesome. This was so much fun. Thank you for eating hummus and chatting with me about the law profession and mindfulness and what you're doing in the world that's so positive and setting such a good example for other people to to follow your heart and do what you need to do to make yourself happy. We only have this one life and we have to follow what is our joy life is too short and we're not promised tomorrow so thank you for for sharing that message today thank you melissa i thank you for introducing me to transformational listening and thank you too for reminding me thinking about people that are left behind out there Mm. and being that energy anchor Mm. not just for my clients but for for people who want to make changes in their life Mm. yeah awesome thank you Thanks for listening. Hope there was at least one takeaway for you. For me, it's about the value of starting now. If you're not happy, make some move, even if it's a thought, an intention to live differently. That one seed, if watered, can bloom into something extraordinary. Sometimes you can't change a culture, but you can change yourself. Please stay tuned for the next episode of your Mindful Hour, where we will explore a new take on the meditation experience. Till then, love yourself and love others.